All right, guys. Um, Pastor Michael, Pastor Carlos, you guys have... Um, just want to thank you guys for bringing the word and keeping it centered on Jesus and just sharing with us your heart this morning. Uh, it was definitely refreshing and convicting and um, all those words in one. Um, you have also Pastor AJ from Mars Hill with us for a Q&A. And um, Pastor AJ, maybe just introduce yourself and... Um, you asked me this a couple months ago at Mars Hill, so I'm going to ask you now how you met Jesus. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm AJ. I'm one of the pastors at Mars Hill Albuquerque, along with uh, Donovan and Matt Wallace. And I've been in Albuquerque now for a year and a half, uh, though on staff at Mars Hill Church up in Seattle, 10 years total now. And uh, I, I have kind of a, when I tell my story, I always end up telling my parents' story because uh, their testimony is really impacting to how I came to meet the Lord. And my, uh, my dad uh, was about 17 years old. His name's Duke. That's what I named my, my first boy. Uh, he was 17 years old, was like the youth group president, and uh, got the youth group secretary pregnant in the youth group couch, and uh, married her, had a second kid with her, and... She committed adultery and left him and devastated him. And through that devastation, he met, he met Jesus and uh, started walking with the Lord then. That was back, that would have been right around uh, 1980. Um, meanwhile, after a second kid was born, uh, my mother uh, was hanging out with a bad crowd and uh, was getting, she, she was smoking a joint with a dude who was a friend of her boyfriend's and uh, it was laced with a date rape drug and, and he raped her. And she knew immediately that she'd conceived, and uh, I'm that kid. Uh, most of the people in her life uh, threatened to threaten her and, and demanded that she abort, but she didn't. I would have been her second abortion if she had. But uh, it was through that rape, and it was through conceiving me that she realized uh, who Jesus was and her need for a Savior. And very shortly after that, within uh, about... See, I was, uh, I was two when, my, when Duke married my mom. He adopted me. And, and so I've just always seen God's grace in my life through their lives and just how much he, he saved them out of just their bad decisions and uh, horrible sin committed against them with the adultery and with the rape. And, and so I've been walking with the Lord since I was super little. I remember I was about three years old in the tub and uh, I just said, Mom, I'm, I'm dirty. She's like, yeah, that's why we're in the tub. No, no, like, like my very, my, everything in me is, is dirty. I need Jesus. And, and from that moment forward, I, I, was, uh, I was praying to the Lord. I was reading his Bible. I was walking with him. And, um, you know, I had a period in high school where it was, it was dry. And I found out you could buy weed with lunch money. And so I spent uh, quite a bit of time smoking weed and praying and rebelling against the Lord. And on 4-20-1998 was the very last time that I smoked weed and I remember, uh, I think I was allergic to the stuff because I would be high for a really, really long time and it was very scary and I don't know why I did it, but um, I remember just uh, wanting to have this amazing conversation with this ex-girlfriend. We were going to go and get high and we were going to have this deep philosophical conversation and uh, we ended up watching A League of Their Own, which that is a terrible movie, sober, <laughs> it is worse, stoned, and I remember just praying, God, I, I will never smoke this again if you... If you just sober me up, I don't want to spend another 20 hours like this. And I remember in about 20 minutes, I was crystal clear-headed, and uh, that, was, that was 1998. I got married in 99 to my beautiful wife. I was 19. She was just 18. Uh, we have five kids, uh, 
two miscarriages, but five kids living with us here in Albuquerque, and uh, we celebrate 12 years uh, next month, married. So yeah, and then I got to come down here and be in Albuquerque and help transition church plant City on a Hill to Mars Hill Church, and it has been amazing watching what God has been doing at that church and being a part of it, serving with those guys, serving with the new elders, or the new deacons and, and new interns, and man, it's just it's exciting times. We just had our first members meeting, and I got to bring Carlos up. Did we give you any families? I think a couple. All right. We're trying to get him a full member in Acts 29 status, and so we're trying to give some of our best people to him over in Rio Rancho, and I'm hoping soon he'll be full member like Carlos is. Yeah, awesome. Thanks. Um, well, AJ, maybe because you have maybe your perspective, maybe me and Carlos do. Michael, you probably have a similar perspective. AJ is coming from the outside, coming from Seattle down to Albuquerque. Uh, I remember you saying that you see in Seattle, like, the devil just working in, like, the technology and, like, the hipness of Seattle. You, you remember you telling me when you first got here that it's like the devil's just beating people up on the sidewalk and, yeah. as we drive by. Um, how do you see that affecting the men that you've dealt with at Mars Hill? And in what ways do you see God just redeeming manhood through what you've seen at Mars Hill? Yeah, I, just to further clarify that, I really see in Seattle that Satan kind of comes as an angel of light. He appeals to men through affluence and through sex and through just money and and it's it's good things that become god things for the men there and here he's uh, he's just a roaring lion just walking the streets looking for people to devour and so the sins that i i see here are they're brutal they're brutal sins they're not shocking but they're brutal um the adultery um, molestation um, just complete abandonment of, of wives and kids and and those are people that are in the church and so outside of the church I know that that just kind of runs haywire we um, we've seen we've seen all of those things happen at Mars Hill Church and um, massive repentance we've we've taken guys and we put them on the stage well they wouldn't come because they were being under discipline but we said this man is refusing to obey the word of the Lord. He's refusing to obey his, his family. He's obe- refusing to obey his spiritual family. Pray for him. He's left his wife. He's committing adultery. And uh, man, that was July 4th, 2010. And that guy, he did repent. When we finally brought it to the church, the church won him over. And, and he walked away from the girlfriend. And, and he walked back to his wife. And he's serving his family in a way that I've, I've never seen. And there's a realness about him. And it's it's beautiful that God took such a disgusting situation and then turned it into this beautiful story. And, uh, man, I can't imagine being a new time, newcomer to Mars Hill that Sunday. Hey, welcome to Mars Hill. Here's some church discipline for you. All right, let's get into the sermon. <laughs> but, uh, but it was truly, it was, it was a beautiful thing, and, and it turned out amazingly well. And we've got, we've got a lot of adulterers. We've got a lot of guys that wrestle with homosexuality. We've got... Um, and guys that just have deep wounds put on them by their family through molestation and through just general abuse. And, and so it creates a type of guy that we're seeing now become a new man, a new creation in Christ. And it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. That's great. Um, Pastor um, Carlos. Yo. You, how many foster kids have you got come to your house? 32. 32. 10 years. Maybe share a little bit about that. Just what that been like. How did you guys become foster parents? Like, how did that happen? And my wife. Yeah. Um, I, I knew I, I love kids, and, and we wanted kids. And as I said earlier, um, 
after the birth of Carmela, um, my wife had uh, fibristic tumors and some ovarian cysts and things going on and um, it severely damaged um, just her reproductive system on the inside. And um, doctor just threw another checkup and just routine stuff said, uh, yeah, you're not going to be having any more kids at all. It's, it's not possible. And we didn't. I mean, we didn't use any kind of protection, any kind of anything, and we weren't having kids. And my wife still had a desire to 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 mother children and, and, and to have more children in our home. Um, her father is a twin. My, my father-in-law is a twin who at birth, her, his mom died and his brother died. And so the dad freaked out and um, gave the rest of the, him and the rest of his brothers and sisters away to different families. It was in, in, in that day in northern New Mexico in Chama, there is no foster care system. So it's like, here, you have this guy, you have that guy, you have this guy, you have that guy. And, um, and so my wife has really always had a burden for, for orphans and for kids that are hurting. And so she came to me one day and said, hey, um, can we pray about fostering or adopting children? I said, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the deep spiritual um, answer that I gave. And um, the only reason why is because um, one of our family members had, had fostered and just being quite honest, and I wasn't being honest with my wife then, but I can be honest with you guys now, is um, I'm a big softy, really, sometimes. And it would kill me when my relatives would give these kids back that I had come to know and love. And so I couldn't even imagine them, like, doing that, I, I, us doing that. And so it was really selfishness. Like, I, I don't want to bring a child into our home, love them, and then have to give them back. They just know we're not going to do that. God began to soften my heart and really see that this is a way that I could love and serve my wife and really fulfill our desire for more children. So said yes. And um, the first child that we actually ever had never came to our home. His name was Anthony. And uh, I can't say his last name just because of laws and stuff like that. But he was a baby who was born drug addicted. And um, his mom just left him in the hospital. And he was assigned to a foster parent. And the foster parent says, hey, I'm on vacation. So this kid can just stay here. So we were new. And, and um, the social worker just asked, hey, is there any way you guys could maybe just go and spend a couple of hours as babies there all by them, by himself? So I was like, oh, yeah, I'll go do it. I'll, I'll go. And uh, she calls me from the hospital and says, hey, you got to just come and see this guy. I'm like, oh, yeah, no. You go ahead. And so for lunch, I went and took my wife some lunch, and there's this little baby on these tubes, and I mean, this baby's tiny. And in that moment, it's just, my heart broke. My heart broke for this little guy. And really, God just gave me a vision there for what we could do in our home, how our home could be used to make an impact in Santa Fe and the lives of kids. And so um, shortly after that, we had a brother and sister, Jaden and Talia, who literally were living in the mountains above Santa Fe in a tent so that their parents could come down and do drugs and then go back and just live in a tent. And I'll never forget when they walked in my door and um, they had this bag and I don't know why they gave us this bag but it was one shoe and this ratty blanket. Like there wasn't even the other shoe and they didn't have shoes. And it was just, my heart again just once again broke. They spent almost two years with us and we fostered people other children at that time during there 
because we only had two kids. So, like, we've always had really like five kids in our home. Um, and um, um, getting to share the gospel with them and to live the gospel with them and then to watch them go back to visits with their parents and tell them about Jesus, it was just, I can't say, and I'm not going to lie and say that it's, that it was like all roses. I mean, to watch these kids go back into some very horrific situations still breaks my heart to this day. But um, one of the cool things is uh, two weeks ago, I'm in my office studying. I hear the door open in the church. This woman walks in. I'm like, yeah, can I help you? She saw Carlos. I'm like, yeah. And then I could see. It was a girl that we fostered who's now an adult woman, 24 years old. Her name's Vanessa. And uh, came by to say hello and where she's at with Jesus and how um, she goes, oh, I, I think I want to start coming. And, and, and all the things that you and Yvette have taught me have carried me through my life. And um, it's been a great opportunity. That's awesome, man. Thanks for sharing that. It's definitely inspiring. Um, Pastor Michael, uh, maybe you tell us how you met Jesus. I know we had Pastor Carlos had shared during his message, and I'd love to hear how you came to know the Lord. Yeah, I uh, grew up in a Christian home. My dad's here today. And uh, so I um, heard the gospel all my life growing up and lived like the devil. And um, then uh, in, uh, I was in high school. We'd moved down to uh, Albuquerque and uh, met a girl that I really wanted to date. <laughs> and uh, she told me to start reading my Bible. <laughs> Maybe that was a gentle letdown. She's my wife now. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> we've been... We've been married for 13 years and have seven children. And uh, so, yeah, Laura told me to start reading my Bible. I think maybe that was her gentle way of saying no at the time. <laughs> at the time. And I started reading my Bible. No, no shortage of quiet time notes in my house. And, uh, and um, really just in, in, reading, in reading the Bible, Jesus just... Showed me my need of him, and and uh, the fact that in conversion he he's not only savior but Lord as well, savior and Lord, and uh, he rescued me there, senior in high school, eighteen, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it just took me from there. That's awesome. Yeah, so his grace and his goodness, yeah. That's awesome. Um, in the Bible, you hear Paul tell Timothy, and you see Paul tell the Ephesian elders to watch their life even before they watch others, to guard their life before they guard the flock. And I think a lot of it is what you were talking about this morning, just sitting in the grace of God, understanding the grace of God, and um, kind of preaching it to yourself. How is that looking, kind of day-to-day living of Pastor Michael Kelshaw, how does that look to watch your own life before you watch the flocks? Uh, I, uh, I, I clo- actually just close myself off, really. Um, I have a study at home, so I, uh, I study in the mornings at home and uh, where I'm doing my own Bible study and praying and then studying for the sermons and Bible studies and things. 
And um, so, for me, practically, it looks like very little time actually at the church building. (laughs) Time in my own study all morning, studying the Bible, (sighs) praying, repenting. And um, and then we, uh, I leave my wife and family in, in uh, Bible study and prayer two times a day at the breakfast table in the morning, at the dinner table at night, where we read the Bible and pray and sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs together. Uh, my wife and I then, uh, one night a week, read the Bible and pray together, the two of us. And, um, you know, I just kind of lay things bare before her. And uh, so just a lot of, a lot of uh, Bible study and prayer and, and, and what the Puritans used to call discursive meditation in light of the passage that I'm studying, you know, just examining myself, uh, you know, where I'm sinning and uh, repenting of that. And, uh, so, and then I go from there into the afternoons and the evenings to meeting with people and, and doing administrative stuff and things like that. Uh, so I do that, and then, and then, uh, uh, you know, Pastor Collis, I, th- I think one of the helpful things you said, you know, when you said we don't know what we don't know, we have blind spots and stuff like that. One of the great things, and in some ways this is a, a product of that. One of the great things has been to get to know uh, just great brothers like yourself, what, that you can just be honest about as well. So there's a sense where you're examining yourself in light of Scripture. And then you're asking brothers you trust to weigh in on that. So elders at Trinity weigh in on what my life is like and what the blind spots might be. And then just just other brothers who, uh, yeah, who weigh in on that. And then our wives are great for that <laughs> because they're not polite, you know. They're not as gentle as our brothers. They just go right for. At least my wife does. <laughs> She goes right for it, mate. You suck here, here, and here. Actually, my <laughs> my uh, we we uh, we we try to take date nights uh, periodically, and one of the date nights that we intentionally throw into that is the "How do I suck?" date night. <laughs> that's probably the safest place when you think about it so that's right so we we will go out for a coffee when we're not in the heat of battle <laughs> emotions are uh, <clears throat> simmered you know and um, and we'll get a coffee and just give each other permission I'll literally say to Laura okay how do I suck as a husband and a dad right now and, um, and uh, you know, when we started that, it was all very polite. Oh, no, you're wonderful, you're the best. And then <laughs> when we repented of lying <laughs> and treasured Jesus more than each other's opinion on stuff, um, we started to get after some stuff, and that has been enormously helpful. I think one of the, the maybe one of the disciplines by the grace of God to do in that is then to take those things that we're told and go back into Bible study and discursive meditation. Okay, the, the, these are areas that I'm being shown, and now I'm going to go back into my study, study the Bible on this, pray through this, repent of stuff, and, and then uh, just do check-ins. So those are some of the ways that hmm. I try to guard myself as, you know, yeah, 
as a, a pastor in ministry, that having this study in my home really is for the sake of them being able to pastor God's people well. I'm learning that too. Yeah. That's becoming more and more of a necessity for me. Mm. How about you, AJ? Yeah, and I think, I think really owning what it is to walk in light, particularly with my family, um, I don't think I have to watch my life as closely. They see it and they let me know in the same way that your wife tells you you suck. Yeah. My whole family really reflects that back to me quickly and easily. <laughs> um, but I, I, I see that when I, when I am slow to confess, when I am slow to repent of what's going on, then I'm really, I'm denying the gospel in my life. Uh, and there's a sense of, um, man, if I, if I don't have to confess that, if I don't have to repent that, then, then I can say that I'm doing good in this area uh, whether anybody knows it or not, and there's a sense of self-reliance and, and not God-reliance and not gospel-reliance. Mm. And so when I get in those seasons of, of failing to repent, I see it in my kids where, you know, you get the babysitter and they punch the babysitter, and I try to talk to them like, you can't punch the babysitter. They're your authority. God gave them you as an authority. You need to go ask them to forgive you. No, I don't, I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm afraid of them. Then I really see that as a reflection of I, I must be leading now these last few weeks in a sense of self-reliance instead of really leaning on the gospel to, to be open and say, I, I sinned. And son, the reason why you don't want to ask for forgiveness is because I don't want to ask for forgiveness. So let me ask you for forgiveness right now for leading you in that. And, but yeah, you got to go still talk to the babysitter because you hit him and there's going to leave a mark. That's, I, man, that's really helpful. I think, uh, you know, supposedly Martin Luther preached the gospel to himself every day. I used to, I used to say that flippantly. Oh, yeah, Martin Luther preached the gospel to himself every day, you know, like, oh, yeah, without really getting a sense of (laughs) what that was all about. But you just articulated that perfectly, you know, in terms of living a gospel-centered life, um, you know, where where am I not living out the implications of the gospel, and that's being reflected back to me. So the answer to that is to, you know, in terms of this watching and guarding, is to believe the gospel. (laughs) Yeah, I, I believe the gospel. And um, I think that's what Luther was probably getting after. And I think probably some of what what's <clears throat> involved in that, and this was a part that I actually wanted to bring out in my exposition, but forgot to. Um, um, there is there is a sense where, by the grace of God, we do have to take ourselves in hand. Okay. We have to take ourselves by the scruff of the neck. Um, the psalmist repeatedly does that, right? You notice the psalms where the psalmist says, uh, rejoice in the Lord or something. The psalmist is telling himself that. The psalmist is taking himself in hand <clears throat> and, and instructing himself what to do. I, I think that's, I, that's very, very, very helpful. D.M. Lloyd-Jones unpacks this a little bit, that the most influential person in your life is actually yourself, right? You're the person that you're always having the inner monologue with, that you're always kind of thinking through ideas with. And, and one, of the, one of the things that we tend to do is we tend to just passively listen to ourselves. And that's going to lead us into trouble. But this idea of recognizing, hold on, my family reflected something back to me here about the gospel. I'm going to take myself in hand, and I'm going to give myself a talking to. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to proclaim the truth of God's word to myself and, and go from there by God's grace. You know, so you just articulated that wonderfully. I, I think that's right. I think being a, a dad, one thing that I know AJ has, and I'll share uh, without asking, but um, you got a tattoo on your chest. Yeah. And what, what's the tattoo? 
Because I think the way it's done is amazing. It's the, uh, it's the Jewish Shema. Uh, here, Israel, the Lord is one, the Lord is God. And um, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul. And, and uh, you should teach this to your kids when you walk by the way, when you lay down and all that kind of stuff. And it's, uh, it's across my chest backwards so that I can, uh, you know, I'm shaving, I'm popping a pimple, I'm looking in the mirror. And uh, I'm, I'm reading. I'm reading a section of scripture to myself, and it, it literally says, "Write it on your heart." So I, I wrote it on my heart, and um, and then I I did it with the two hearts facing out, so you guys can see that word and know that it's not like some foreign language. It's it's English. It's just backwards. Yeah, it's really cool. My kids love that tattoo, though. Ethne, she was she's my three year old, and uh, she's my only dark haired girl. The rest are all blondies, and. Uh, she will come in and she will wrestle. She will, she'll elbow drop and uh, leg lock every morning. And uh, she will regularly say, like, I like your tattoo. I like your tattoo. Well, what part do you like? I like the red part. Okay. When do I get a tattoo? I was like, when your husband says you can get a tattoo. That's awesome. It's a lot more spiritual than my tattoos. So <laughs> most of mine were inspired from frat days and... Bud Light. Um, <laughs> that's, that's an inspiration. That's an inspiration. What does that tattoo look like? Yeah, what does that tattoo look like? It's a Blink-182 band has a bunny as their mascot. It's the bunny on Blink-182. It's above my heart, too. So, <laughs> so God's brought me a far away from being a hungover kid to this. Um, I also have a cross. Um, <laughs> Uh, I was just going to digging deeper and deeper. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm the moderator, so we'll continue with the questions I have. Um, well, real quick, we'll do um, just one question here. And, and I think this is a, a good question. It's simple, but it isn't. Um, when sin is more desirable than Jesus, what do I do? I think because we, in Christian world, we can have cliches, right? We can have desire Jesus more saying glorify God and enjoy him fully and you know everything you should do to be um, satisfied in God and find your joy those are really good for bumper stickers and coffee mugs but um, at time they're true but they're hard to take from the sentence to how's that look so um, any of you guys want to take this when sin is more desirable than Jesus what do I do that's a great question AJ? <laughs> That's rehearsed. Just so you know, he practiced that before. <laughs> I'll take it. I, I'll start. Um, I mean, that's, that's a continual thing in my life. I mean, the enemy's a liar and the father of lies. And, and so many times um, the lies are almost believable. And so when sin becomes more desirable in the gospel, it's a very scary place. I mean, and, and honestly, there's times that I sin. I fall short. And, and, and I guess what I do is run back in repentance to God and, and uh, make what's happened known so that I can really just become accountable. But then there's other times that as sin is more desirable, um, I remind myself that I have a greater affection than anything uh, that, that this sin is offering me. And um, I begin to focus my affection, my attention, back to what God has provided, what he is 
what he has offered me in Christ and then literally um, rest in contentment with that. But that's, that's me. There's times when the sins are where I flat out, I just sin. I'm not going to lie. I blow it. And it's then when I run back in repentance to God. Yeah, I, uh, <clears throat> I think that the recognition, if we're, in the, if we're in the place where we recognize sin is more pleasurable than Jesus, I, you know, I think that that's actually evidence of God's grace in our life, that we can recognize that um, and, and name it. You know, that this sin is becoming more I want to pursue this more than Jesus. I treasure sin rather than Jesus. So, uh, you know, I think we rejoice at God's grace, even in being able to recognize that. And and then I, I, we we you know we we believe the gospel. We run to Jesus in that moment. We say, Jesus, I, this sin over here is becoming more precious to me than you. Will you fix that? Will you sort that out in me? Um, because, and you know, then obviously, obviously, we're going to be reminded of how Jesus is our greatest treasure. You know, these sinful things are fruitless joys. They promise a great deal and never follow through, never deliver on that. And we'll remember that Jesus always delivers; that He is truly satisfying. So, when we're satisfied in him, we're truly satisfied. All those things will start to flood in. But in a way, I mean, I think if we're really going to believe the gospel and we're going to take grace seriously, we're going to say, Jesus, I, this is what's going on, and will you deal with me on that, and will you be more precious to me? Um, and will I seek my greatest joy and pleasure and satisfaction and happiness in you? Will you do that in me? I don't know. AJ, what do you think? I think it would. Uh, I think it would. It would show the idol. What, what's the idol that's in your your heart right now? Is it a surface idol? Is it a, is it a more deep deep idol? Meaning, is it? Um, it may be money that you are choosing over Jesus, but is it truly just the bills in your pocket, or is it the comfort that it brings? Is it the power that it brings? And so I think maybe diving in a little bit deeper to be well, what is it that you're desiring? And are you just taking that surface thing at face value, or are you are you doing the right thing and really diving a little bit deeper and saying, well, no, it's really comfort. It's comfort. And money brings me comfort. And so, am I comforted by Jesus? And 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 why not? And so it just it opens the conversation a little bit deeper. I think when you go into idolatry as well, in your own life and in your own just self-evaluation, what exactly am I getting out of this right now? Why is it more desirable than Jesus?